And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning. Welcome to The Real Investment Show. It is Tuesday. This is the last full week of trading uh, before we get to the Thanksgiving holiday next week. Uh, markets are closed on Thursday, half a day on Friday. So uh, next week, very light trading week. In other words, uh, most traders are going to be gone. So it'll be inmates running the asylum all week long. So uh, this is the last really kind of full week here before we really start getting into holidays. Uh, volume tends to lighten up over the course of the holidays. So again, you know, traders are out, those type of things. So anyway, uh, just keep in mind volatility is going to pick up here a bit. Yesterday, um, markets were kind of just sideways. And it was interesting because we started out fairly weak yesterday morning um, and then rallied back. And again, this is something we've been talking about here for a while is that, you know, there's, there's a lot of buying impetus now. That whole selling pressure that we had in July, August, uh, September has now really kind of, sorry, August, September, October, uh, has now kind of waned and is reversed. And again, as, as is always the case, we've talked about this so many times here, but this is an important lesson is that when things feel the worst, right, that's generally about the time that they're going to reverse. And so it's just a good, good kind of reminder. When you feel terrible about something, be patient. Let things turn around in your favor. So nice rally here yesterday, holding above the 100-day moving average. Uh, futures are pointing up a little bit this morning. Yields a tad lower, but this can change pretty quick this morning because we have the CPI report out at 730. Uh, now, as we talked about yesterday, Jerome Powell gave a speech last week, and he already has this data for CPI, or at least a big chunk of it. And, you know, the comments he made, he said, in particular, he said that inflation is not where they want it to be. And that, you know, this is kind of keeping that maintenance out there of this one more rate hike on the horizon. And that probably suggests that today's inflation report may be a little bit hotter than expected. So estimates right now are about a 0.2 increase um, and probably be 0.3 on, on CPI. So don't be surprised if CPI comes a little bit higher. Uh, the drivers for that are going to be used car prices and healthcare, uh, healthcare costs, healthcare insurance. Uh, healthcare insurance rose over the last month or so. Uh, that picked up about a 1% growth, and that's not surprising because we're about to, we're now getting into healthcare renewals for insurance companies. So, like at, at your job, this is about the time the window opens for you to sign up for healthcare costs. So, not surprising because of inflation, prices are up. That's going to feed into CPI. Uh, the second thing was was the auto workers' strike that limited the number of cars out. So, your used car prices are going to probably rise here a bit as well. So, that's going to kind of feed into some of that inflation print today. Uh, most of that's mostly transitory. As the economy continues to slow down, those prices will come down. The big driver, though, is homeowners' equivalent rent makes up more than a third of the index. That's going to be lower. So, that's going to keep a, a constant suppression on inflation over the course of the next year or so as those home prices continue to feed through that economic data because of the lag. Also, oil prices have dropped uh, over the course of the last couple of months. That's going to also uh, lead into some disinflationary pressure on CPI index. So again, probably a inline to slightly hot reading this morning. That could certainly push yields a little bit higher today, so don't be surprised about that. Uh, yields right now are pointing lower, but we can see that reverse once the CPI report comes out. 
if the if the inflation data is is really too hot, if it comes in you know much hotter than expected, especially at the core, uh, that could impact stocks today. Kind of reverse that on expectations. The Fed may have to hike more, but again. The Fed's been pretty clear, and Jerome Powell's been pretty clear that you know inflation is trending towards their target. That's their goal. They want to get back to two percent. And again, that latest speech kind of suggests that most likely um, we're going to see inflation kind of in line with expectations today. Maybe slightly higher. We'll see how that comes out. But again, that's going to be the big driver today. Tomorrow, of course, is PPI. Um, we'll have that weighing on the market as well. Once we get through that, then things are going to kind of lighten up. Uh, economic data-wise through the holidays. Um, so again, just kind of keep that in mind. Here's what you need to know before the bell. Let's make a run through some of the markets this morning. Uh, as we said, you know, if we take a look at CPI, uh, sorry, at uh, the S&P, um, got above the 100-day moving average, tested it yesterday. Um, hopefully today, if we can hold above that, what would be great is if this market can rally today and get above uh, Friday's high, that would actually be very bullish here, and that would clear that 100-day uh, moving average resistance turn that resistance into support, and that would open up the target for 4,500 on the S&P, which is our target for the year. So again, we're, we're moving in the right direction. Markets are a little bit overbought here. Um, so again, you know, just, you know, this kind of sloppy action, even though the market's been kind of grinding higher, it's been sloppy over the last few days, that's because this market's pretty overbought here. So again, um, the, the, the MACD buy signal still has room to move higher. So again, that's why our target's higher for the end of the year right now. But again, this little overbought condition, we could see a bit of a pullback today, tomorrow, uh, Thursday, Friday, something like that before we get into the holidays. That would be normal. Uh, normally see weakness, as we said yesterday, before the Thanksgiving holiday. Coming out of the holiday, you tend to see uh, stronger market performance as well. So again, but somewhere in here, uh, because of the market's overbought, we're going to get a little bit of a pullback. That'll be a buying opportunity if you want to add exposure to portfolios. On the... Uh, Small cap, mid cap side, if we look at the Russell 2000, that's a very different picture. Um, nothing good going on. So again, this remains a very bifurcated market overall. And again, we can tell that by looking at the, the uh, equal weighted index. If we take a look at the equal weighted index versus the S&P, it's a very different picture. Uh, so outside of those seven stocks, Apple, Microsoft, you know, Google, Meta, et cetera, Outside those seven stocks, there's really not a lot going on in the market. The other 493 stocks are, are basically about flat for the year. Uh, you take a look at the equal weighted index, there's been basically no performance this year at all. Of course, that's been kind of the story all year long. On the uh, outside of that, you know, take a look at commodity prices. Uh, oil prices, you know, been under pressure here as of late, which suggests that economic data, you know, the economic data is slowing down. And again, as we take a look at, you know, consumer spending, definitely saw a drop in consumer spending in October. Uh, oil prices reflecting a, a more kind of deceleration in economic activity and, and supply demand uh, imbalances. Starting to see that slow down here. That's gonna feed into inflation ultimately as we get slower economic growth. But again, we are getting pretty oversold on oil prices, close to a buy signal. So we could see a move up in oil prices here as we get into December. Again, you know, these little bouts of activity, uh, certainly not surprising. But if you're looking for a trade in energy stocks, probably one coming up here fairly shortly. Outside of that, gold, of course, continues to really not do a whole lot this year. Big flat trading range most of the year and uh, coming back down though to test resistance here, uh, sorry, test support. Uh, big cluster of moving averages, 50, 100, 200-day moving average, all sitting right here. So very, very good support for gold prices here at 1935-ish. Uh, should hold there 
Uh, if we break below this level, then we've got, you know, definitely a retest of that 1800 level that we saw earlier this year. But again, um, on a sell signal here, so gold certainly has been under pressure as long as we're on that, gold, on that sell signal for right now. Uh, taking a look at the dollar, of course, uh, that's been the big driver economically, kind of globally. Uh, dollar continues to be very strong here. Now, remember, back over here, uh, you know, in July, we were writing a lot of articles about de-dollarization and everybody's fear that the dollar was going to collapse. Uh, very strong rally since, again, narratives, we talked about that. Uh, that dollar rally kind of stalling here a bit, but again, nothing really bad going on here. That's giving some support to both the markets as well as, as commodities. And that's why commodities kind of holding up here, even though we've seen some correction. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, we'll talk a lot of stuff to get into this morning, but we'll talk about that Moody's downgrade yesterday as well. So don't go away. More of the Real Investment Show coming up right after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So as I was saying, uh, markets, uh, you know, here a little bit overbought short term. We've had a big move, um, you know, very outsized for any given month um, of the market. So markets, you know, Nasdaq's up about 7% from its lows uh, in October. And, you know, so there's certainly some, some things that suggest we could see a little bit of a pullback here before you get another advance into year end. Now, when that pullback occurs is difficult to tell. Um, particularly when you have a lot of momentum behind the markets, it's you know they can stay overbought longer than you expect. But ultimately, you'll 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 get a pullback for some reason or the other, and then you know you'll then be some headline narrative, um, and then you'll get a push uh, you know into the end of the year as you get portfolio rebalancing, window dressing. But you know a couple of things on the horizon right now that you know certainly potentially provide that catalyst for a bit of a pullback. CPI report today, if it comes in a lot hotter than expected, could certainly see the markets pull back here a bit. Um, you know, it was interesting, you know, we talked about, yes, uh, on Monday <laughs> that, you know, Moody's had come out, they had downgraded the U.S. debt to a negative watch. And, you know, we've seen these things before. And as we said yesterday on the show, it's like, why anybody, anybody pays attention to them? I have no idea because it means nothing. Um, <laughs> you know, you didn't change the rating. You just said, well, if you don't clean up your room, Jimmy, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to have your dinner. Well, you know, you're still going to feed your kid dinner. Nobody wants to get reported CPS. So, you know, you make these idle threats, you know, hoping that it'll have some effect, but in reality, you're not going to do much about it. And that was the case yesterday. And I thought it was interesting because the media made such a big hoopla about this. Right. And, and again, you know, this is why I always tell you, be very careful about, you know, watching stuff on YouTube. There's a lot of people on YouTube out there that are the kind of end of the world, doom and gloomers, everything's bad. You know, the world's going to die a horrible flaming death. And, and, you know, and it's easy to get looped into that because it sounds very logical. But, you know, as we talked about recently, talking about bell curves and statistical probabilities of events occurring, those televents could certainly happen. They just don't normally happen, right? They're very rare events when they do. Depression, uh, 1933 depression. That was one of those rare events, right? Financial crisis in 2008, that was one of those more rare events. It can happen. It just doesn't happen very often. So you can't kind of live in this world where everything is going to lead to the end of the, uh, the, end of the universe. And if it does, it's not going to matter anyway, right? <laughs> so... You always keep these things in focus. And, and of course, so, you know, this the latest 
negative, you know, bare headline was, you know, oh, the, here's another, you know, debt downgrade by Moody's and this is going to be terrible. And markets kind of shrugged it off yesterday, right? Opened a little bit lower on it and then rallied back to close flat. Now, I thought it was interesting today because CNBC this morning has an article out kind of repealing some of their previous reporting. There was a time, I'm, I'm, this is a quote from CNBC, there was a time when bad news about U.S. debt would send markets into a tailspin, but not this time. Markets on Monday shrugged a warning uh, Friday from Moody's Investor Service that was lowering its ratings outlook on treasuries. The big three rating agencies said high levels of government debt and deficits coupled with political brinkmanship in Washington could jeopardize the global standing of government-issued fixed income. When Standard Poor's and Fitch issued similar warnings, they sent at least a temporary shockwave through Wall Street. And that was true, except here was the problem. So when S&P downgraded the U.S. debt, actually did a downgrade of U.S. debt. That was back during 2011 during the debt ceiling debate standoff. And this was at a point in time where the Obama administration uh, cut a deal to uh, potentially cut the debt cut spending at least by a trillion dollars and it turned out to be a giant fiasco all the way around but you know nonetheless there was a temporary agreement and so the debt downgrade occurred and yields fell by almost 150 basis points very quickly after that so it was interesting that you know here we go again and we have another rating agency put out this thing and everybody's freaking out and nobody realizes that it doesn't matter. You could make treasuries single A rated. Nobody cares. Because if you're going to store your reserve currency, you have to store it somewhere. The only place you can store it with relative safety is U.S. Treasury. And it doesn't matter whether it's A rated or AAA rated, they're still going to store it in U.S. Treasuries. Because, again, who are you going to trust, as we've talked about before? Here's a statement from Michael Reynolds, Vice President of Investment Strategy, Glenn Mead Investment Management. This is from the CNBC article. If we go from AAA to AA, what does that practically mean? It doesn't really mean anything. There's still plenty of demand for U.S. Treasuries in mass. There's no piercing insight from Moody's that they have proprietary information that nobody knows about the, the U.S. government, so it's a non-event. And that's a true statement. So again, narratives. We have another narrative coming up Friday. Government shutdown. So we have a new House speaker. He's trying to do a in-run here with some type of innovative strategy rather than just passing a budget and doing the 13 spending bills. We're going to try to do this two-part continuing resolution and trying to get that passed. He's, he's not going to get it passed with Republicans, which means you have to pull in Democrats to get it passed by Friday. And which means that he's going to have to cave at some point on funding for Ukraine and for Israel. We'll see what happens. But again, there's not, this is going to have to be a clean, continuing resolution, no, no budget cuts whatsoever, because we have a broken Congress that cannot operate within the constitutionally defined processes that run our government, right? Which is having a budget 
And for some reason, we can spend all of our time coming up with all these other things that we need to spend money on, but nobody can spend a couple of months coming up with a budget. So maybe instead of trying to come up with all these other spending programs that we want to spend money on and sending money here and sending money over there and doing these other things, maybe we need to spend a couple of months just shut everything down in Washington, do a budget. I know that's that's pipe dream, but <laughs> you have a job, right? You have a responsibility. This is your job as the House of Representatives. You are in charge of the budget. You control the purse strings. That is your job. But for some reason, we just can't do that. So here we are once again up on the verge of another government shutdown. And if we don't get this passed, we'll have a shutdown. My view, shut it down. Right? At least if the government is shut down, you will act to get something done. And the longer it's shut down, the more painful it is for the U.S. government not for not for us. I mean, everybody expects that, you know, this is just going to be a terrible event for the U.S. economy. It's not. Social Security checks are still going to go out. Interest is still going to get made on the debt. Veterans are still going to get their, uh, sorry, military still going to get paid. That's going to, now, parks are going to be shut down. Department of Education will be shut down. Not really much of a loss, <laughs> considering that the ACT scores have now dropped for the last five years in a row and or look pretty pretty dire. We're not educating our kids, so I'm not sure Department of Education is doing anything worthwhile. Maybe it's time for a change. But, different argument. Um, <laughs> but those are the things that are going to get shut down. And you know what? That's painful for the government. It's not painful for the U.S. For us. It's not going to change a thing for us if the government's shut down. Your Social Security check's still going to show up. It's mandatory spending. It's going to get paid. So shut it down as long as it takes to get back to a budget. But again, this is also going to come up to the fact that we've got an election coming up next year and it's time for people to start voting for the representatives they want in office rather than just voting for whoever. We, you know, we just had an election in Houston. 13% of the population voted. 13%. You barely crack double digits of getting people out to vote. So don't complain about Sheila Jackson Lee becoming mayor. She, she's going to win uh, in the runoff. It'll be she, Sheila Jackson Lee versus um, John Whitmer coming up in the runoff election. Sheila Jackson Lee is going to win. She's going to be the mayor. So don't complain about the who's running Houston and, and the course of the city if you're part of the 87% that didn't show up to vote in the city election. You get the vote, you get the government you vote for, right? So these are, but you know, if, if we don't start making a change, then these problems that we keep talking about in terms of debts and deficits and spending, et cetera, are only going to get worse because that's the easy path for politicians. It's easy to spend money. Right? As long as you can keep printing currency and, and keep printing debt, it's easy to spend money. And nobody wants to cut spending because that means you take money away from projects or districts or whatever it is. And that doesn't get you voted, right? That, that doesn't get you votes for office. Oh, well, you know, 
Mr. So-and-so took so much money out of my district, right? I lost, you know, I lost big contracts, whatever, because they cut spending in my district. They closed a military base, whatever it is. So he gets voted out of office. It's easy to spend money. Being fiscally responsible is tough. And it's the job of every person in Congress, both Democrat and Republican, to be fiscally responsible. But we just don't want to do that. So point is, though, is that we have all these conversations about debts and deficits and all these issues, but nobody really wants to do anything about it. Why? Because it's easy to spend money. But my point is, is that the debt ceiling narrative, the government shutdown narrative, it's going to crash the markets. It's not. We need a good government shutdown to maybe get some controls on spending in Washington. That would be helpful, but it's not going to be the event that crashes the market. So just like I said, as we talked about all week, be careful of narratives. Be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so talking a little bit about you know when we're talking about inflation a little bit earlier we talked about consumer spending has slowed down a little bit and um that was interesting home depot reported earnings this morning or yesterday, sorry, uh, after the bell. Um, their, their sales declined 3% from a year ago period. They topped Wall Street ex- estimates, of course, um, because they had lowered estimates so much for earnings, but still beat it. But importantly, the quarterly sales declined by 3% from the year ago period. Uh, this was, it was interesting because the retailer indicated, ca- I'm going to read to you from the report, the retailer indicated caution uh, about the coming months as it narrowed its full year outlook. It said it now anticipates sales will be fall by 3 to 4% from the prior year uh, compared to a previous expectation of a 2 to 5% decline. Uh, Home Depot expects per shares to, uh, earnings to slide uh, by 9 to 11% compared with the prior guidance of 7 to 13. So, you know, what's interesting, though, is, is that this is kind of one of the bellwethers of consumer spending from a couple of different aspects. When things are really good in the economy, people tend to do a lot of their home maintenance stuff by hiring it out. You know, I've got, I got excess capital. I'm, 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 you know, doing okay right now. Uh, You know, I'm going to hire, I'm going to go online to, you know, Angie's list or whatever, and I'll hire this out to, you know, you know, build my porch or whatever I'm going to do, right? Repair stuff. When things start to get, tight around the belt, people tend to do their own stuff, right? Start mowing your own yard. You start doing your own repairs, which you go to Home Depot for that or Lowe's. And you're doing a lot of your home repair stuff. And so, and again, when things get really tight, you start postponing those things, right? I need to repair that, but I don't have the money right now. I'll get around to it. And so Home Depot is a really good kind of economic indicator when you look at it from that aspect, 
And what they're telling you is, is that the economy is slowing down. And maybe, and, and we've, we've talked about this before, is that there's been some reports out there from people that the economy is probably slowing down more than people expect. And we just haven't seen it reflect in the data yet. But, you know, we're seeing it from the, re, you know, from the restart of the student loan payments, et cetera. You know, that's starting to cut into spending. In fact, you know, uh, there was a report out that from the uh, National Retail Federation, I'll just read, the consumers, uh, consumer took a spending break ahead of the holiday season with October retail sales excluding auto and gas falling by 0.8%, uh, 0.08%, and core, uh, and core retail, which also removes restaurants, declining by 0.03%, and this is according to the uh, NRF, uh, NRF Retail Monitor. Mind you that, Chris, uh, that October has one of the biggest shopping days of the year in it, Halloween. So we saw people, and we talked about this before, you know, high candy prices, saw people buying less candy, that type of stuff. So we saw that kind of coming in the data, but it hasn't been reflected yet in the overall kind of economic trends. Economic aggregates still seem to be okay. Remember, we just printed 4.9% growth in uh, Q3 of GDP. At least that was the initial estimate. So... What's interesting is, is that we're seeing the impact potentially early of softer retail spending as savings run out, as higher costs weigh on consumers. Again, you know, we've talked about here on the show before, you know, the cost of eating out is just crazy. Uh, interesting story out um, a couple of days ago. This, this guy is scanning his groceries at a grocery store and... Scans all of his stuff and puts it in his, you know, self-scan. Do you do your self-checkout now because nobody wants to actually check you out anymore. So he, he did his checkout of his groceries and he's walking out the door and one of the retail associates at the grocery store says, hey, can I see your receipt? And he blows up, right? He's like, you want me to check out my groceries? You want me to do all your work and then you want to check my receipt? And the guy's like, yeah, I, I kind of. And the guy walks out of the store, right? Um. But what's interesting about that is, is that grocery stores build in a loss factor for groceries. They know people are going to steal, right? It's normally about 2%. Since they've installed checkout, self-checkout, it's gone to 4%. So inherently, most people are thieves. <laughs> but it gets worse when... You know, your groceries are now four or $500 a month and you don't have money. It's very easy to kind of, you know, not scan something, maybe not scan a more expensive item or you buy an organic apple and you mark it out as a cheap apple, you know, that type of thing. People will do that, right? It's inherent to human nature, particularly when money's tight. I got to have groceries, got to eat. So when you have a combination of high prices and you have this, you know, kind of drag on incomes from higher interest rates, debt payments, those type of things, there's eventually going to be a collision between what you can afford and what you have to have, right? And, you know, the things that you want versus the things that you need. And then all of a sudden, you know, reality kind of sets in and spending slows. And we may be seeing the early stages of that. And you know, look, we're about to get some really good data coming out over the course of the next really three months because we'll have Thanksgiving reports, uh, Black Friday sales, 
um, which started three months ago, um, and then Christmas, and then, of course, New Year's, and then once we get to January, February, and then Valentine's, right? So um, this is the best time of the year for my wife right now. Birthdays, December the 1st, Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day. She gets it all at once. But I figured it out, though, Brent. Yeah. yeah. So she's very hard to buy for, right? So I now get her to just pick stuff out on Amazon, put it in the cart, and then I buy it. <laughs> but it works. She, she always gets the present she wants. It's never a debate. Well, think about it, too. You have the right of veto. I do. I never veto, though. I never exercise well. that right for <laughs> self-preservation reasons. I understand. <laughs> You could, you know, you could push that big red button. Don't recommend it. <laughs> if you want to sleep in bed, don't recommend it. That's right. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah, so we're, we're going to get a lot of good data uh, coming out over the course of the next, you know, couple of months about just how strong the consumer actually is and where we are in the status of those savings and those type of issues. And, and again, this is going to be important because this is going to tell us a couple of things. One, if spending is slowing down, you're going to have lower rates of inflation next year, which means yields go down. Let me repeat that. If you have slower spending, if you're expecting an economic slowdown, you're going to have lower rates of inflation and lower yields because they all work together. There's a lot of camp right now, though, in terms of the mainstream kind of analysts and economists. They're saying, oh, we're going to have booming economic growth next year. I'm sorry, we're have booming earnings growth next year. Earnings have now troughed, and we have this massive expansion in earnings next year. Can't have that without stronger economic growth. And at the same time that they're expecting this expansion in earnings, they're expecting the Fed to cut rates. The Fed's not going to cut rates unless you have slower economic growth. So... Wall Street economists talking mostly their book right now, not really putting a lot of research behind their analysis. So this will be important to pay attention to. Watch what these reports say here over the next couple of months, because, again, when you take a look at companies like a Home Depot, take a look at Target's reports, Walmart's reports, talking about slower retail sales, right? slower foot traffic those type of things. We're going to be, what we'll be looking for in particular coming out of the holidays are discounts on items to move inventory. How heavily are items having to be discounted to get them to move? We're going to get a lot of that data coming out after the Black Friday sales. So these are going to be things to pay attention to, but we're getting some early signs of this, that the economy is indeed slowing down. Uh, the question is, is how much? And what does that mean? Now, again, once we get to next year, we have a very big detachment right now between valuations and real interest rates. You cannot have real interest rates where they are currently and valuations where they are currently, right? We have fairly high valuations on a trailing basis. Normally, those should track fairly closely together over time. And there, right now, there's a big kind of gap between those two, which suggests two things. Either real interest rates have to fall, in other words, yields go down and inflation falls, to support high valuations, or 
you have which would only come if you have a recession which also means that valuations will come down. In other words, they will rejoin themselves in the middle somewhere because valuations will have to fall along with interest rates and yields and inflation falling because you've now entered into a recession. That's how those will recouple. You can't have, in theory, a rapidly declining rate of inflation and interest rates to rejoin high valuations with having a strong economy, which is what you have to have to support high valuations. So again, a lot of these forward outlooks don't make a lot of sense. I have no idea how this is going to work out, nor does anybody else, by the way. So be careful of these forward-looking estimates about things that are going to occur because they're going to be revised drastically as we get into next year. But pay attention to the data. The data will tell us a lot here over the next month or so. All right, we'll come back. Wrap up the show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. So coming up in uh, late January, we're going to have a summit with Greg Valliere coming in to talk about the economic and land, you know, economic landscape leading up into the 2024 election kind of politics, economics, and financial markets, how they all blend together. Uh, we'll be having some data on, on our website in terms of registration, sign up, etc. cetera, uh, coming here in the next month or so as we get closer to putting that together. It'll be very interesting. But I, I bring that up because there's a new poll out this morning conducted by the Financial Times and the Michigan's Ross School of Business and uh, I'm going to read to you this, this clip uh, snippet from the Financial Times. It's a new monthly poll conducted for the Financial Times and the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business will seek to track how economic sentiment affects a race for the White House. In, in 1980, as example, Republican Ronald Reagan famously asked voters whether they were better off four years earlier under Jimmy Carter, uh, setting the stage for his landslide victory. And so, again, you know, here we are. Heading into a presidential election race, it'll be highly contested, of, of course. And the question, really, the question is going to be for voters: Are you better off, right? And the poll is kind of interesting because um, if if you ask the you know according to the poll, again, what I'm reading to you is just from the poll. I have no other data than just this poll. Um, 35% of voters right now think that they are better off. And, you know, that's not a lot. <laughs> you know, you've got a vast majority of, of your voting public saying that they are worse off now. But why are they worse off? Inflation, obviously, has a been, been a persistent thorn as of late and continues to be a primary concern. 82% uh, of the respondents cited rising prices as their biggest financial stressor. 
that overshadowed other things in the economy. 82% pointed right. You know, why, why if you, okay, so you don't feel like you're better off right now. Why not inflation? So inflation is the problem. And, and again, you know, inflation is not this uncontrollable thing, right? It's like, well, how did we get inflation? Well, you put $5 trillion into, you sent checks to household, $5 trillion worth to households, and you bailed out everything, and you shut down the economy. So what do you think you're going to get from that, right? You're going to get inflation because you have too much, too much demand, no supply. And now that's, that's going to eventually work itself out, which is why inflation is going to fall. But that's going to take a long time. You've got to, as we've talked about before, that pig in the python is going to take a long time. It's a very big pig in a very little python. It's going to take a long time for that to digest and work its way through the system. And we're getting there. It's just taking time. And, and so, you know, this is going to be the key question coming up in this upcoming election is going to be, what are you going to do about inflation? And there's nothing you can do. Here's the problem. The only way that you truly cure inflation is to stop spending money in Washington. Right? Let the economy work itself out. And, and it's just got to do that over time. And, and it's not just, you know, I, I just mentioned, right, we had $5 trillion worth of stimulus. But it's not just that. It was then... Another 1.7 billion in the a trillion in the Inflation Reduction Act. It was the Chips Act. It was this other act, and it's and this is these continued pro these spending programs of government money, which is why our debt's increasing. That's keeping inflation elevated because we keep injecting more and more money into the economy, either directly or indirectly. And so, at some point, you've got to say, "I got to stop here." Let this stuff all digest itself out, and inflation will come down. But that's just the part we haven't gotten to yet. So only 25% of the people polled thought the economy was better. And that's despite the fact that you just saw a 4.9% economic increase in GDP. So see, that tells you a lot. See, sentiment and reality are two very different things. The data says everything's fine. Economy's booming, wages are up, people should be doing great, got a lot of excess savings. 82% of people are going, I'm not better off because of inflation. 70% of people are saying, I'm not better off at all, regardless of whether it's inflation. I'm just not, I'm not any better off than I was four years ago. That tells you a lot about the economy, and it tells you a lot about what's really happening below the surface. So that's why I'm saying a lot of these economic headlines that you see they look fine economic data is upticking you know we're doing great and again as we talked about before data doesn't just go in one direction right even when you're heading into a recession you're not just going to have a straight drop in the data you're going to get these bounces along the way and when you, we have a long string of declines you're going to get a bounce in the data and that's what we saw in the third quarter was you know there's just a function to where I've cut, I've cut spending, I've cut spending, I've done without, I've done without, I've done without as long as I can. I've got to go restock. And that's whether you're a household or whether you're a business owner. I can bleed down my inventories as a business owner as much as possible. But at some point, I've got some relevant, uh, you know, relative demand coming in. I'm going to have to restock. 
And those restocking cycles create these bumps in economic activity, but the overall trend remains negative. And so this is why sometimes it's confusing between the economic data um, and what's happening really kind of on the ground. And again, 70% of the economy is driven by personal consumption expenditures. That's you and me going out, spending money, etc. How do we, you know, how does this reconcile itself? Will depend on what happens next in the economy. Do we get another big spending bill that injects more capital into the economy? Or do you have a recession, right? If, if we don't get a spending bill of some sort and, and the Fed keeps, keeps rates elevated and keeps doing QT, you're going to have a recession in the economy. That's almost inevitable, which will reverse a lot of these issues. Now, the last thing that anybody wants politician-wise going into an election is a recession. If you're in office and you have a recession before elections, you are not going to be in office after the election. So don't be surprised if we get, and again, this is why you're going to see, you won't see any type of budget bills coming up to cut spending this close to an election. This is why you're going to have a continuing resolution that just continues spending until next year. And then you'll have another continuing resolution that kicks the can down after the election. Because once you get to next year, nobody wants to deal with any type of cutting of spending going into an election. That's a surefire way to not get reelected. So don't expect anything to happen in government over the next 12 months. A year from now, once whoever is elected is elected, then maybe in 2025, we can start talking about spending cuts, right? We'll, we'll see. But, you know, it, it's going to, you know, between now and then, don't expect anything like that. The, the big question is whether or not the economy can hold up between now and then. And if it doesn't, then the Fed's going to have to step in, start buying bonds, start lowering in interest rates to help lift economic activity. And if you don't think for a moment that there isn't going to be pressure from politicians on the Fed, that's me, you're sadly mistaken. Because if this economy really starts to roll over before the election, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on the Federal Reserve to cut rates because they want to get elected. So, interesting though, interesting poll. It'll be worth you know kind of paying attention to this and seeing you know kind of you know oh it's and this is a new poll by the Financial Times. So it'll be interesting to watch this to see how well it tracks um, as we as we get into election cycles in the future. But you know again, not surprising that the results of the poll were so negative given the rate of inflation that we have in the economy right now. And the impact that it's having on the everyday household family. You know, the, nothing is more deterring for a politician than somebody that can't put food on their table for their family. And that's going to be the one thing that, that and that's how people vote. You know, we've, we've often talked about in the past that people vote by their wallet, right? If they don't, if, they, if everything's fine, they'll vote for the guy that's in office, right? It's like, yeah, apparently he's doing a good job because everything's good. If everything's not good, 
they're going to vote for something different. They don't even care who it is. They'll just, it's not that guy. I'll vote for, I'll, I'll vote for, there was a, I think a dog that was elected mayor in Colorado somewhere. That tells you how bad things get, right? You know, at some point it's like, I'll vote for a dog. He'll, he'll do better than the other guy. Um, you know, so, so again, that's kind of what this is telling you is that right now people are going to vote for anybody that's different at the moment. You know, if things change next year and we have this boomer economic growth that a lot of economists are expecting, this kind of recovery in the cycle, then uh, this could all change. So we'll see. All right. Uh, wraps up the show for the day, of course. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest blog is out talking about the difference between investing and speculation and 10 rules to follow, uh, really 10 of the legends, Jeff Gunlack, Howard Marks, others, and, and their kind of rules that they use to manage money and things that you should think about. So it's a good little guide just to kind of keep on your desk. I publish it every couple of years because it's just a good reminder of how to invest successfully over the long term and not get so deterred by short-term kind of market movements that really don't matter in the long run. That's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow with Danny Ratliff for our Wednesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Like this uh, video, please uh, subscribe and click that little bell icon. We appreciate it, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.